0: God is the potter and we are the clay. Isn't that interesting? This is a good way to begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Himmler.
1: I'm Janice. And
0: this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're doing that in one year, 32 years. It is excellent. Corey is here to help us, Corey and Ryan. Corey.
2: Well, I'm gonna be taking a look at ancient pottery and how it was created. Ryan?
3: Well, did you know Abraham, also known as Abram, is mentioned nearly 300 times in the Bible, and Isaiah mentions him four times in his book. So we're gonna review the history of this great man of faith.
0: Very good, look forward to that. Those reports are coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice?
1: God's presence brings change.
0: All right, very good. So get your Bible guide out and your Bible, and let's open it up and listen to what God is speaking to us right now.
1: Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 12. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence, as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, You came down, the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry. For we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities but now o lord you are our father we are the clay and you our potter and all we are the work of your hand do not be furious o lord nor remember iniquity forever indeed please look we are all your people Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? Isaiah 64, verses one through 12.
0: Isaiah 64, 65 and 66, that's what we study as we go through the Bible in one year. It's very exciting because we're going through the prophets. We've been through the wisdom literature, the creation events, the history of Israel. And as we focus in now on the prophets, it sets us up for listening to the New Testament of the Bible. Now, unfortunately, by ourselves, there is nothing that we can do or think that is right with God. Our human righteousness is regarded as filthiness to the Lord. Now, this is because of our fallen condition, our sin condition. There is nothing in our life on this earth that can make us great in God's sight. Now, it's easy for us to disagree with that idea because we don't like to think of ourselves as evil. But the temptation is to compare ourselves to others that have committed worse sins than us, to make ourselves feel good about our level of righteousness. The problem is that God judges the heart individually not comparatively. God is perfect. He's perfect to live with him. It requires us to be perfect so that we will not continue in our sin. Now, this is why we need Christ so desperately. Through Christ's forgiveness, God applies Christ's righteousness to us. Now, this gift is supposed to change everything for us. God grants us his Holy Spirit who helps us learn and walk in God's Righteous ways. Now, this is fascinating, a really interesting study. Now, today we're going to stop and focus on Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 12. Previous years, we've read the previous chapters of Isaiah, but now we're going to focus on this. We're going to listen to the Lord as He continues to speak to us because of our iniquities. Do you know what iniquity is? Iniquity is the pattern of sin in our life. Because of our patterns of sin, in our life that's what we're going to focus on today so let's pray father i pray today that you would help us as we see this and as we understand this today it's not easy but help us lord to realize that you are lord and you came and died for the cost of sin gave your life and three days later overcame death through life Help us to hear that, Lord, and help us to understand and apply it to our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. If you need a Bible guide, let me tell you that you can call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And it'll take you to a page where you can download the file just as you see it, as we printed it. It's very good. Now let's focus on the first part of the scripture, Isaiah 64, seven verses here. Let's look at them. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence, When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountain shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Verse five says, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness or rightness with God, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry for we have sinned in these ways. We have continued and we need to be saved. We need to be saved, but we are all like the unclean thing and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Very important. Listen to the first point. Everyone needs to be saved from sin. Every single person. God provides that salvation when we accept him as Lord. Beloved, I do not care who you are or who you look to or who you think is holy. Holiness is completeness, completeness. And let me tell you something, nobody is holy, only God is holy. And by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man into our lives, his Holy Spirit comes in and he makes us holy. It is God who changes us, beloved. Keep that in your heart and keep that in your mind because that's what the scripture tells us. Now let's go on, 8 through 11 say, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter and we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people, your holy cities. Our wilderness, Zion, is a wilderness. Jerusalem is desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. And all of our pleasant things are laid waste. Now look at this point. We are the clay. God is the potter. After we are born again, except Jesus Christ, we trust the Lord to remake us and to reshape us. And let me tell you something, this is very important. When we accept Jesus Christ, we invite him into our life and Jesus Christ instills us with the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll read about this coming up and that makes us able to change. We cannot change without the Holy Spirit, beloved, cannot be done permanently. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit of God changes you. The Holy Spirit of God changes me. The Holy Spirit, not from this world, from God himself. Very, very important. Isaiah 64, 42. Now, this is really important. Listen to this. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? It's a question to God. It really is. But listen, this is what we know. God gives us the opportunity to come to him right now, today. We should come to Yeshua HaMashiach and ask him for his saving grace. Beloved, this is the time of salvation. This is the day. Now is the time when we come to Jesus Christ. Now is the time when we do that. And that is something we need to pay attention to. So beloved, today I would simply say we need to pay attention and ask the Lord to help us. Because we can come to him and we can say, Lord, I believe that you are God and I need you, Lord. I need to turn away from sin, from destroying people and allowing it to destroy me. Help us, Father, today. This is what we pray. And in Jesus' wonderful name, we said together, amen. Now, The word amen means make it so. Make it so, God, we trust you. Make it so. So, beloved, we need to understand that God will make it so if we are serious about taking him as Lord of our life. You know, I say to people, I gave up my free will when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That's true, because I don't do what I wanna do, but I pray and say, Lord, teach me your ways and show me your paths. And we will do what you want us to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
2: In our reading today, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, Isaiah uses this image and, and, you know, it's not just used here in Isaiah, it's used elsewhere as well. When we get into Jeremiah, we're going to see God and Jeremiah also reference this, uh, but Isaiah uses clay and the image of a potter molding a clay as a, a, a symbol of the relationship between God and his people. Um, And this is in the context of judgment, which we'll talk about uh, in in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to take a look at this ancient practice of of pottery and and the potter and, and what this idea would have invoked in Isaiah and his immediate audience. Take a look. A very natural association is made in the Bible between God and the professional potter. The biblical belief of God creating man from the dirt of the ground mimicked the creative act of the potter, who, after sourcing the natural clay, then formed and fired it to make a useful thing. This creative comparison between potters and God is made in biblical books, like Job, coming from the mouth of Elihu I am just like you before God, I was also pinched off from a piece of clay. And Jeremiah coming from the mouth of God. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. The craft of forming and firing pottery is extremely ancient. The raw clay was either dug from the ground or settled out of clay sediment-rich waters, depending on where you were in the world. The clay would then be hand-cleared of any impurities, like stones or sticks, mixed with water to the perfect consistency and kneaded by foot in large piles to rid it of air bubbles and achieve good forming texture. The potter would then form his vessels. There were several ways to do this, by hand and with scrapers and sticks to beat while using mats or wheels to turn, and or holes in the ground to help shape the clay. During the biblical time period, potters in the ancient Middle East generally used wheels, some turned by apprentices for the potter, and others turned by the foot of the potter himself. Once a vessel was just the way the potter wanted, it was pinched off of the wheel by hand or string and set aside to dry for several days, leaving a leathery type of vessel. Then it would be fired in a kiln. In some other societies, clay was sometimes fired in open fires, but in the biblical Levant many remains of permanent kilns have been found that show this was the preferred and most often used method there. These permanent kilns were composed of a firebox underneath that would be tended by the potter, and above the firebox, pottery could be stacked in the enclosed kiln and baked until perfectly durable. Clay pottery was economical and tremendously useful to ancient man and today it helps the modern archaeologist assign dates to excavation sites. So this image, you know, using ancient technology, the ancient technology of pottery that would have been very commonplace, very everyday obviously, uh, just, just you know, in in survival, in in how to live, in quality of life, it would have been a factor. Uh, it's. It's really interesting how it's used by the prophets, and it's still applicable today. I mean, obviously the technology of pottery hasn't gone anywhere. We still have it, uh, though we are more mechanized as a society now, so it's generally more specialty You know, when you get an artisan, uh, handcrafted piece of pottery. But it's interesting to pay attention how Isaiah uses it, where he is using this as a plea towards God. Remember who we are, God. We are your creation, just, and, and, and a personal creation, your hands have formed your people, the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And then he goes on to talk to God about how God, this is future casting because Isaiah isn't living in the time period where Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed as of yet, but he has seen it. God has already shown it to him. So he's talking about this great judgment that God is going to bring and this great destruction that he's going to bring. And he turns this into a plea of remembrance. Remember us as the creation of of your hands, uh, how long will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure is how uh, chapter 64. And so it's it's always interesting to pay attention to how these images are being used.
0: And previous to that, verse 11 says, our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned with fire. Yes. And that's important because it says, and all of these pleasant things are laid waste. Yeah. God just toasted everything. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Ryan.
3: Yeah, well, as I mentioned off the top of the program, Abraham, or Abram as he was once called, is mentioned in the Bible almost 300 times, and interestingly, over 200 of those occurrences are in the Old Testament, and Isaiah, whose book we're reading, mentions him four times. So, I thought it would be wise to remind ourselves of that essential history of the father of nations. So, let's study the life of this great man of God, from his initial calling out of Haran to the miraculous birth of his son Isaac. His name was Abram, and though he was raised in a nation that served other gods, he was about to become his own nation under God, the one true God. Indeed, in his 75th year, he departed from Haran and from his father Terah's house, as God had commanded him, to journey to an unknown land. With him was his wife Sarai and nephew Lot, plus all the people and possessions he acquired in Haran. When they came to a land called Canaan, God appeared to Abram there, and promised the land to his future descendants. During the next several years, God would continually reaffirm this promise to Abram and even add to it. Not only would his descendants inherit the land, but one day Abram would as well. And not only would one nation come from Abram, but many. In fact, his descendants would be as innumerable as the dust of the earth and the stars of the heavens. And most significant of all, all nations would one day be blessed through him, to emphasize the promise, God changes his name from Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, the father of a multitude. Likewise, Sarai was now to be called Sarah. Despite these many promises, there was still one major problem. As Abraham himself pointed out, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Indeed his wife was barren, and they were now both of great age. Nevertheless, God promises Abraham that his heir would come from his own loins, and Abraham believes him. However, after 10 years removed from Haran, the couple is getting concerned. Abraham is now 85 and Sarah 75. So in desperation, Sarah gives Abraham her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, in order to obtain children by her. Although at this point in time, God had not yet specifically revealed to Abraham that Sarah was going to be the mother of the promised heir, It should have been assumed since she was his only wife nevertheless through the union of abraham and hagar came ishmael and as far as abraham knew this was the promised son it would have come as quite a shock therefore when god returned to abraham 14 years later to reveal that sarah would bear the actual promised son in a year's time though truly miraculous in the following year which was now 25 years after they had left haran their promised son was born Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. As God had instructed, they called him Isaac, meaning laughter. It was truly a time of joy and celebration. However, during a feast in Isaac's honor, Sarah saw Ishmael mocking Isaac, which ultimately led to his expulsion from the family. Though this tremendously grieved Abraham, God consoled him through the revelation that Ishmael would also become a great nation, but that Isaac was the promised covenant son. Indeed, it would be through Isaac that God's nation, Israel, would come. Well, Abraham definitely wasn't a perfect man and at points had lapses in his faith. Ultimately, he trusted and believed in God's promises. And you know what? God accounted Abraham's faith to righteousness.
0: And according to God's promises, there were many things still to come that he told Abraham. And you know what? Most of them have all come, but still... There's the future, mm-hmm, and the that's future, right. our future yeah. has been prophesied in the Bible, and it's still to come. That's very exciting. Jen.
1: Yes. Well, in Isaiah chapter 64, we are coming just off of, in chapter 63, a prayer of penitence, a prayer of shame, of repentance, and we see here that God's presence God's Holy Spirit brings change. We see here, oh, that you would rend the heavens, 64 verse one says, that you would come down, speaking about God, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. And I thought about the presence of God and how that when the presence of God is present, things change, just like this, the mountain shake uh, fire, it burns brushwood and fire causes water to boil. When the presence of God is in us, we begin to change. The atmosphere that we live in when we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, the atmosphere around us changes. I know that when I read my Bible, I love to sit on my own and read it out loud and especially the Psalms. I really enjoy reading the Psalms out loud. And I believe that it really changes the spiritual atmosphere around where I'm sitting. That is what I believe the the Word of God is so powerful. So my point here is we all need to invite the presence of God into our lives to bring any kind of lasting and eternal change. You know, we can spend our whole lives trying to become better people, um, getting better habits and being nice or doing these things. But you know, we will have a measure of success within ourselves, but true change and true goodness only comes through the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. When we give our lives over to God and ask for His forgiveness, the Holy Spirit enters in. and, And when we're available to Him to be in His Word, and we apply that word to our lives and to our responses, then things begin to change and it's an eternal change and it's for our good, but it's for God's glory. Now, I wanted to also say that Isaiah 64 verses four and five tells about God's nature when we wait for Him and when we remember Him. It says, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed. So looking at this, look at what God does. He he meets us, those of us who rejoice and does righteousness, things that are right before God and who remember Him in His ways. I love the verse in Lamentations that Jeremiah wrote, verses three, or chapter three, I'm sorry, verses 22 through 26. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good, to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord." Now, waiting and being still before the Lord doesn't mean that we're sleeping. It's actually a verb. It's an an action. When we wait or we're still before the Lord, we're waiting with expectancy for God to move because God is not a God of nothing. God is a God of something. With God, there is always something that is happening that's going on. Here's a couple of verses in the last few seconds. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. One one more, Forty-six, ten. one of my favorites, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth.
0: Today, at the end of the program, you've seen the prayer requests that we're praying for. Prayer is so critical, it's very important. And you can join us for our prayer meeting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30. But today, let's pray and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness in my life. And thank you, Father, for your majestic, amazing grace that saves us. And Lord, bring me your Holy Spirit. I give my life to you today. the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, and we said together, Amen. Make it so.